Talkspace.com, feeling better starts with a single message. Support for individual, therapy for me, couples, therapy for us, teens ages 13 to 17, psychiatry, medication management, Talkspace accepts insurance, rated number one online therapy, 1 million users, employee stress check report, what's behind the great resignation, read the results of this year's survey, introducing more flexibility, learn about how Talkspace has updated their line sessions for uh, to better serve you, mental health checkup, take a short online test to get answers about your mental health, how Talkspace works, brief assessment, answer a few questions about your preferences, pick your therapist, select from a list of recommendations, start therapy, begin the journey toward a happier you, benefits of Talkspace, eliminate commute time and scheduling hassles, flexible plans to meet your needs and lifestyle, seamlessly switch therapies at no extra cost. Save money while receiving high-quality care. Ready to get started? Talkspace offers comprehensive online mental health treatment options to meet all your needs via video, messaging, or phone. Online therapy, ongoing support from a licensed therapist, couples therapy, relationship-centered therapy that connects you and your partner, teen therapy, specialist therapy for ages 13 to 17, psychiatry, evaluations, and psychiatric medication management, more than 60,000. Five-star reviews, licensed providers providing a range of specialties to meet your specific needs in areas like depression, relationship anxiety, and uh, stress, parenting, LGBTQIA, chronic illness, eating disorders, anger management, childhood abuse, mood disorders, OCD, trauma, and grief, substance abuse, family conflict, and much more. Get matched today, Talkspace versus face-to-face therapy. 80% found the Talkspace to be as effective or more effective than the traditional therapy. 98% found Talkspace to be more convenient than traditional therapy and Talkspace for business. Talkspace partners with employers, health plans, and schools to make mental health care more available and affordable. Rothy's.com. Add comfort to your gift list. Meet Rothy styles from men's and women's shoes to a wide array of bags. Discover sustainable styles made for all. Better for the planet. Rothy's believes there's a way to do things and one that puts the planet and its people first. From better materials to manufacturing and finally to recycling. Rothy's is committed to closing the gap at every step. Give $20, get $20. Tell a friend about Rothy's and you'll both get $20 off your next purchase. So go ahead, tell a friend. The gift of choice. Take the guesswork out of gifting with a pick that never goes out of style. Stay in the know. Try Rothy's today for better comfortable shoes that are better for the planet. Good morning. Today's true crime story is... The Jody Arias Trial, Part 1. Travis Victor Alexander, July 20, 1977 to June 4, 2008, was an American salesman who was murdered by his ex-girlfriend Jody Ann Arias, born July 9, 1980. In his house in Mesa, Arizona, Arias convicted of first-degree murder on May 8, 2013, and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole on April 13, 2015. At the time of the murder, Alexander sustained multiple knife Wounds and a gunshot to the head. Aries, Arias testified that she did she killed him in self-defense, but she did not convince the jury. The murder and trial received widespread media attention in the United States. 
Background. Charles Victor Alexander was born on July 8, 28, 1907 in Riverside, California to Gary David Alexander, 1948-1997, and Pamela Elizabeth Morgan Alexander, 1953-2005. At the age of 11, Travis moved in with his paternal grandparents after his father's death in July 1997. His seven siblings were also taken in by their paternal grandmother. Alexander was a salesman and multiple speaker for prepaid legal services, PPL. Jody Ann Ayers was born on July 9, 1980 in Salinas, California to William and Sandra Nee Allen Arias. Her father is of Mexican ancestry and her mother is of German and English ancestry. She and Alexander met in September 2006 at a PPL conference in Las Vegas, Nevada. Arias converted to Alexander's Mormon faith and on November 26, 2006 was baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in a ceremony in Southern California. Alexander and Ayers began dating in February 2007. Arias moved to Mesa to live closer to Alexander. In March 2007, she moved to Eureka, California, and lived there with her grandparents. Alexander and Arias dated intermittently for a year and a half, often in a long-distance relationship, taking turns traveling between their respective Arizona and California homes. Alexander's friends who knew Arias and observed them together tended to have a negative opinion of her, stating that the relationship was unusually tumultuous and that Arias' behavior was worrying. Murder. Alexander was murdered on Wednesday, June 4, 2008. He sustained 27 to 29 stab wounds, a slit throat, and a gunshot wound to the head. Medical examiner Kevin Horn testified that Alexander's jugular vein, common carotid artery, and trachea had been slashed, and that Alexander had defensive wounds on his hands. Horn further testified that Alexander may have been dead at the time the gunshot was inflicted, and that the back wounds were shallow. Alexander's death was ruled a homicide. He was buried at Riverside's Olivewood Cemetery. Discovery and Investigation In early 2008, Alexander told people that Arias would join him for a work-related trip in Cancun to Cancun, Mexico, scheduled for June 15th. In April, Alexander asked to change his travel companion to another female friend. On May 28th, a burglary occurred at the residence of Arias' grandparents with him, Arias, was living among the missing objects was a 25 caliber automatic Colt pistol, which was never recovered. This later became significant as a shell case from a spent 25 caliber round was found near Alexander's body at the murder scene. On June 2nd, between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m., Arias called Alexander four times, but did not appear to get through to him since the longest of the calls was 17 seconds. After 3 a.m., Alexander called Arias twice for the first time for 18 minutes and the second time for 41 minutes at 4.03 a.m., Arias called Alexander back, and the call lasted 2 minutes 48 seconds. Neither of these calls nor their transfers were presented in Arias' trial. At 5.39 a.m., Arias set out to drive south to rent a car for a long trip to Utah, as stated in evidence by a gasoline purchase at Shell Food Mart in Eureka. On June 2nd, at 8.04 a.m., Arias rented a car at Budget Rent-A-Car in Redding, California. She indicated she would return the car to Budget in Redding. Arias visited friends in Southern California on her way to Utah for a PPL work conference and to meet with Ryan Burns, a PPL co-worker. By late evening on June 3rd, Arias apparently set up for Salt Lake City. Arias, Alexander missed an important conference call on the evening of June 4th. The following day, Arias met up with Burns in the Salt Lake City suburb of West Jordan, Utah, and attended business meetings for the conference. Burns later said he knows Arias' formerly blonde hair was now dark brown. She had cuts on her hands. On June 6th, she let 
She left Salt Lake City and drove west towards California. She called Alexander several times and left several voicemail messages for him. She also accessed his cell phone voicemail system. When Arias returned the car on June 7th, it had been driven about 2,800 miles, 4,500 kilometers. The rental clerk testified that the car was missing its floor mats and had red stains on its front and rear car seats and rear seats. It could not be verified that the car had floor mats when Arias picked it up, and any stains could not be verified since the car was clean before police could examine it. On June 9th, having been able to reach Alexander, a concerned group of friends went to his home. His roommates had not seen him for several days, but they believed he was out of town and thus not thinking anything was amiss. After finding a key to Austin's master bedroom, his friends entered and found large pools of blood in the hallway to the master bedroom where his body was discovered in the shower in the 911 call not heard by the jury. This special asked if Alexander had been suicidal or if anyone was angry enough to hurt him. Alexander's friends specifically mentioned Arias as a possible suspect, stating that Alexander had said she was stalking him, accessing his Facebook account, and slashing his car tires. While searching Alexander's home, police found his recently purchased digital camera damaged in the washing machine. Police were able to recover deleted images showing Arias and Alexander in sexually suggestive poses taken at approximately 1.40 p.m. on June 4th. The final photograph of Alexander alive showing him in the shower was taken at 5.29 p.m. That day, photos were taken moments later to show an individual believed to be Alexander profusely bleeding on the bathroom floor. A bloody palm print was discovered along the wall in the bathroom hallway. It contained DNA from both Arias and Alexander. On July 9, 2008, Arias' 28th birthday, she was indicted by a grand jury in Maricopa County, Arizona for, for the first-degree murder of Alexander. She was arrested at her home later uh, same, same day, extra to Arizona on September 5th. Arias pleaded not guilty on September 11th. During this time, she gave several different accounts about her involvement in Alexander's death. She originally told police that she had not been in Mesa on the day of the murder and had last seen Alexander in March 2008. Ares later told police that two intruders broke into Alexander murdering him and attacking her. Two years after her arrest, Ares told police that she killed Alexander in self-defense, claiming that she had been a victim of domestic violence. Pre-trial. On April 6, 2009, a motion to reconsider the defense motion to disqualify, to disqualify the Maricopa County District Attorney's Office was denied. On May 18th, the court orders areas to submit to IQ and competency testing. Later in January 2011, a defense filing detailed the efforts in w- to which areas attorneys went to obtain text messages and emails. The prosecution initially told defense attorneys that there were no available text messages sent or received by Alexander and then was ordered to turn over several hundred sex Messages. Mesa Police Detective Esteban Flores told defense attorneys that there was nothing out of the ordinary among Alexander's emails. About 8,000 were turned over to the defense in June 2009. Jury selection. The trial commenced in Maricopa County Superior Court before Judge Sherry K. Stevens. On December 10, 2011, initial jury selection began on June, December 10, 2012. During jury selection on December 20, Arias' defense attorneys argued that the prosecution was systematically excluding women and African Americans. Prosecutor Juan Martinez said that race and sex were ill up to his decision to strike certain jurors. Judge Stevens ruled that the prosecution had shown no bias in jury selection. Guilt phase. In opening arguments on January 2, 2013, Martinez sought the death penalty. Arias was arrested by appointed counsel L. Kirk Nurmi and Jennifer Wilmot, who argued that Alexander's death was a justifiable homicide committed in self-defense. Co-worker Burns testified that when Arias visited him in Utah two, 
The two had spent several hours hugging and kissing on a large beanbag chair. She told him she cut her hair. She cut her hands on broken glass while working at a restaurant called Margaritaville. A detective tested no restaurant by that name had ever existed in the Eureka area at the time. Arias was working at a restaurant called Casa Ramos. Arias later tested that after she cut her finger, I had a Brazilian margaritas to make. Later, the prosecution argued that since a 25 caliber round was found near Alexander's body and that a gun of the same caliber was stolen from Arias residence in Eureka. The week before, she had staged a burglar to use and used the gun to kill Alexander. Martinez claimed Arias had stalked Alexander and had slashed his twice twice. In addition, in the final days before his death, Alexander called her a sociopath and the worst thing that ever happened to me and stated he was afraid of her. Ares took the stand in her own defense on February 4, 2013, testifying for a total of 18 days. The length of time Ares spent on the stand was described by criminal defense attorney Mark Garagos as unprecedented. On the first day of her testament, Ares told of being violently abused by her parents beginning when she was approximately 7 years old. She testified that she rented a, ready, a car in Reading because Budget's website gave her two options, one to the north and one to the south, and her brother lived in Reading. On her second day on the stand, she said that her sex life with Alexander included oral and anal sex. She said the anal sex was painful for her the first time they experienced it together, and that while she considered these forms of sex to be real sex, Alexander did not as they were against as they were not against Mormon rules concerning vaginal intercourse. Arias said that they eventually had intercourse, but less often a phone sex tape was played in which Alexander said he wanted to zip-tie Arias to a tree and have anal sex with her while she was dressed as Little, Riding, Little, Red, Little Red Riding Hood, which Arias seemed to respond to enthusiastically. Arias had recorded this phone sex session without Alexander's knowledge or consent, apparently hoping to use it to embarrass Alexander to his Mormon peers. Arias also testified that Alexander had sickly found young boys and girls sexually attracted and that she tried to help him with his urges. Forensic experts testified that an examination of outside the computer found no evidence of pornographic material. Eris testified that her relationship with Alexander became increasingly physically and emotionally abusive. She said that Alexander shook her while saying, I'm fucking sick of you, then began screaming at me, after which, the bo- which he body slammed me on the floor at the foot of his bed. And Tonda was saying, don't act like that or don't act like that hurts before he called her a bitch and kicked her in the ribs. Afterwards, Arias said he went to kick me again, and I put my hand out. Arias held up her hand, her left hand in the courtroom, showing that her ring finger was crooked. According to Arias, the dysfunction of the relationship reached its climax when she killed him in the self-defense after B, he became enraged when she dropped his camera, forcing her to fight for her life. This was the third differing account of Arias, Alexander's death given by Arias, which both prosecutors' courtrooms were Courtroom observers and later jurors felt severely damaged her credibility. Rebuttal witnesses from the prosecution included several officers and the girl who stated he never exhibited any problems with anger or violence. Arias addressed comments she made in a September 20, 2008 interview with the syndicated newspaper Inside Edition, which had been played earlier in the jury in the trial. In, in the interview, she said, no jury is going to convict me because I am innocent. You can mark my words on that. Discussing the statement during her testimony, Arias said, at the time of the interview, I had plans to commit suicide, so I was extremely confident that no jury would convict me because I didn't expect any of you to be here. At the close of his cross-examination of Arias, Martinez replayed the video and prompted Arias to affirm that she had said, during the interview that she would not be convicted because she was innocent. When being questioned by Martinez, Ayers was initially combative and flippant. 
But after several days, Martinez was able to highlight the numerous lies and inconsistencies in the testimony, and she admitted to stabbing and shooting Alexander, despite her early claims of a lapse in her memory. The jury's foreman, William Zervacos, later expressed his opinion common to both jurors and observers when he told ABC's Good Morning America that te Arias testimony did not do her any good. I think 18 days hurt her. I think she was not a good witness. Starting March 14th, psychologist Richard Sanders testified for her for this defense. Her, for nearly six days, he said Ares was likely suffering from acute stress at the time of the murder, sending her body into a fight or fi fight or flight mode to defend herself, which caused her brain to stop retaining memory. In response to a juror's question asking whether this scenario could occur, even if this was a premeditated murder, as the prosecution contended, he responded, "Is it possible? Yes, it is possible." Yeah, is it possible? Yes, it is probable. No. Oh, is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? No. Samuels also died to Ares with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Martinez attacked Samuels' credibility, accusing him of forming a relationship with Ares and being biased. Samuels had previously testified he had a compassion for Ares beginning on March 26th. Alice LaViola, a ther psychotherapist who specializes in domestic violence, testified that Ares was a victim of domestic abuse and that most victims do not tell anyone about the abuse because they feel ashamed and humiliated. LaViola summarized emails from Alexander's close friends. They have basically advised Miss Ares to move, to, move from, to move on from the relationship, but that Mr. Alex had been abusive to women. The jury posed nearly 160 questions to Love Violet, many of them focusing on areas credibility. Clinical psychologist Janine DeMart testified for the prosecution stating that she found no, found no evidence Alexander B had been Alexander had abused areas and no evidence of PTSD or amnesia in areas. Furthermore, areas claimed total memory loss for a long stretch of time was inconsistent with traumatic amnesia associated with PTSD, which manifests as much shorter gaps in memory. Instead, DeMartin said areas suffered from a borderline personality disorder, showing signs of immaturity and an unstable sense of identity. People who suffer from such a disorder have a terrifying feeling of being abandoned by others, DeMart told jurors. The final, the final defense witness was psychologist Robert Geffner, who said that DeMart's borderline diagnosis was not appropriate and that all tests taken by Arias since her arrest pointed toward an anxiety disorder stemming from trauma. He also said that tests indicated that she answered questions honestly without lying. Following Geffner's testimony, the state called Horn, who tested further on the gunshot wound, and called Jill Hayes, a forensic neuropsychologist who disputed Geffner's testimony that the MMPI test was not geared toward diagnosing borderline personality disorder, concluding a long day in court at 8.29 p.m. On April 24th, in response to previous testimony given by Ares about buying a five-gallon gas can from the Walmart store in Salinas on June 3rd, 2008, that she returned on the same day, the president called Amanda Webb, an employee from, only, from the only Walmart in Salinas, to the stand. Webb said that according to Walmart, no one returned a five-gallon gas can on that date and that Ares returned the gas can a week later rather than on June 3rd. The gas can evidence was seen as important in establishing premeditation as the prosecutor argued that Selena Arias was trying to avoid being recorded on gas station security cameras as she drove to Mesa. In closing arguments on May 4th, Ares' defense argued that the premeditation theory did not make sense. What happened in that moment in time? The relationship, the relationship of chaos, which ended in chaos as well. There was nothing about what happened on June 4th in that bathroom that looks planned.
couldn't it also be that after everything they went through in that relationship, which she simply snapped, ultimately, if Miss Ayers is guilty of any crime at all, it is a crime of manslaughter and nothing more. In rebuttal, Martinez described the extent and variety of Alexander's wounds. There is no evidence that he ever laid a hand on her, ever. Nothing indicates that this is anything less than a, smans- than a slaughter. There was no way to appease this woman who just wouldn't leave him alone, he said. Arias' testimony added to a very long defense portion of the guilt phase of the trial, which led to problems with attention of jury members. On April 3rd, a member of the jury was dismissed for misconduct. The defense team asked for a mistrial, which the judge denied on April 12th. Another jury was accused for health reasons. A third jury was dismissed on April 25th after being arrested for a DUI offense. As of April 20th, defense costs had reached almost $1.7 million paid by taxpayers. On May 7, 2013, after 15 hours of the Ayers found guilty of first-degree murder. Out of 12 jurors, five jurors found her guilty of first-degree premeditated murder, and seven jurors found her guilty of both first-degree premeditated murder and felony murder. As the, verdict, as the guilty verdict was read, Alexander's family smiled and hugged each other. People outside the courtroom began cheering and chanting. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned to Part 2 of the Jody Arias trial. Have a good week. Stay safe, and thank you for listening.